Welcome, everyone, who are fans of After Further Review. It's Mark Ferrer, John Pelkey, and Jeff Taylor on our on the board, working out all this YouTube stuff, and uh, also uh, as our producer. This is brand new. This is YouTube. This is live. We'll see how well it works. John Pelkey, uh, talk to me. Uh, I am. Uh, I, I, I'm hearing something in the background that's me con- too confusing to me. It's okay. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed that anybody ever gets to see me on any sort of film or I know. camera. I don't care for that. Look at the, the size of my head. I'm actually sitting 12 yards away from my camera, and this is how big my head looks. I know. I, I, just, I know. It, it, it just shows that you actually are a pretty good guy, willing to do this. Something you literally despise more than world hunger is yeah. showing yourself on film or on camera, right? Uh, you know, and the fact that you're doing it shows that you, you know, you've got a little, you've got a little something, you've got a little chance of redemption in your life. Well, it was presented to me as, as I had two choices that either I give into this and people have to be able to see me, which is just still stomach turning in my I, mind. I understand. Or this was a show about nothing but UCF special teams. So uh, those were the choices that you gave me. And, uh, you know, night power, but I don't, you know, I again, thought this might be a better choice. Again, it's a collaborative thing, John Pelkey. It's, it's not just me presenting you with choices and then uh, I'm saying you've got to pick one. Otherwise, I'm out. And by and collaborative, you, of course, mean that you, you decide upon something we want to do and then I acquiesce to it. And then minutes before we're going to do it, I text you and ask you if we're prepared to do it. You let me know that, in, in fact, we're not prepared to do it. And then we, we we try to get it together. And then luckily, whilst making that point, you let us know about really what drives your character, which is trying to drive me into the ground. Because the thing that I screwed up on somehow gets more play than the thing that actually prohibited us from doing a show. So that's yeah. how it's going to be, because it's going to be me running full tilt, not knowing anything. Let's have YouTube, not even having a channel established. I agree. That was a uh, classic Mark Ferreira move. Jeff Taylor, what do you think of this whole uh, this whole YouTube thing, this whole video thing? Does it make you uncomfortable at all like it does, Johnny? No, I'm not uncomfortable being on video. Look at this face. I'm beautiful. <laughs> I, I actually, yeah. I, I was, I was, what I was trying to focus on was making sure that everything was working well. And I went to the YouTube page to watch the stream and I saw there was a comment, but uh, yeah. the comment wasn't showing up on our, our chat here, but now it has. So uh, it's just it taking a little bit. Chief of the Fire, uh, tuning in, which is outstanding. Outstanding work out of him. Should be a good show today. Now, Mark, Why- can I just request one thing from you? Sure. Have, having worked with you uh, for, for, Long for time. quite some time at this point, um, those comments are going to start popping up. So if you respond <laughs> to the question, do the listening public a favor and actually tell them what the question is. Because if because if you're just sitting there and you're going, so anyway, I think, you know, what Mike Gundy was talking about with, uh, oh, uh, Diego Segui, clearly. And the people are going to be like, I'm sorry. So just, you know, just throwing that out there to you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the note before we get going, because I could be. I mean, I've told everyone we're not going to be a slave to the comments. We're going to treat the comments like it's a normal talk show back, you know, back in the day where we take a call. They're like a call. We can either take them or we don't. And we either can hang up on them or or not, which we didn't do a lot. We usually had huge 15, 20-minute long conversations with people that would call because only two people would call in per show. And we were anxious 
to uh, to use them as content. All right. Well, you've referred to it. We will talk about the little Mike Gundy um, flare up that happened at Oklahoma State. <laughs> situation. When, yes, his situation where uh, his star, uh, one of his star players, uh, was very upset with a T-shirt he was wearing. We'll get into that. We'll get into Major League Baseball and how I've had a change of heart, John Pelkey. I've had a change of heart. I think it's misplaced. I don't. I don't. So and we'll talk optimistic. about that. All right. Okay. And uh, and then we'll talk about the NBA and some of the uh, you know some of the rules, some of the protocols, which seem to be. I don't. It, it's uh, from my point of view. And again, I'm not a scientist. And don't you love it when you start a sentence that way? Uh, <laughs> but it seems to be as proactive as possible in terms of making sure everything uh, moves forward. Moves forward yeah. on this thing. There's yeah. a little bit of an echo I'm hearing, but I think yeah. that might be just kinks in the system or perhaps my internet. I'm not sure. So let's let's start though with a little progressive trivia. Uh, and here we go, everyone. And this is what's so great about progressive trivia now, boys, is that we can have live guesses with progressive trivia. I didn't even think of this option until right now. This is a huge benefit for me. Well, and again, you know, it, it's interesting for a man who does nothing but ask questions, generally inappropriate questions in the middle of an, an entertaining story, which bring that story to a screeching halt and ruin whatever sort of frivolity that may have been happening at that time. But uh, how do we, if they get it right in the middle of us doing it, yeah, do we, do we then we stop? We do. So, so this, so uh, for, for folks who live to download our show and listen to progressive trivia, now that's, that's, that's come to an end, right? Well, Depending they're going to have to change their habits and start watching YouTube. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. You've thought this out. Oh, I, I've not at all thought it out. I just realized all this right now and I'm just riffing off the top of my head, which is normally how I make all my decisions. As Perfect. you know, okay. Seems to be right. okay for you. Well, yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see this. As we've talked about this, this virus is. Can I ask you you one other question in my character? What's that? Can I ask you one other question? You you were looking down as if you had a progressive trivia. I do. That's right. You said you were going to do it today. See, yeah, I got I had a progressive trivia, but go ahead, please. You want to hold on to that tomorrow? Do you want me to hold? I got mine right here in front of me. Give it a shot. uh, Please do, John Pelkey. Please do. Because tomorrow, well tomorrow's a deep dive, and it's, it's it's all me talking the entire time, so it won't be that different. Uh, it's very true. So fifteen percent—that's that's the highest I've gotten to in any one show. Fifteen percent of the words. Now, see, <laughs> now Jeff's sitting there going, "Ha, oh, the boys are just being funny." But I assure you that Mark goes home, he listens to this, he's got two stopwatches, and he tracks who gets to talk the most. Oh yeah, oh yeah, all thirty episodes. I've done then, all the algorithms. I wish I could say that's the weirdest thing he does. <laughs> don't we all all right here we go look for a major league baseball player past or present spent 18 years in the majors for three teams over 2,000 hits over 350 home runs over 1200 rbi i had five straight gold gloves i played with john crook and joe girardi pretty nebulous can you repeat those please 18 years, Major League Baseball, for three teams. 2,000-plus hits, 350-plus home runs, 1,200-plus RBIs, five straight gold gloves, played with John Cruck and Joe Girardi. Natural enemy of John Cruck. Indeed. All right. Very good. So there it is. So there it is. All right. So let's talk about uh, the Mike Gundy thing. He uh, was wearing a OAN T-shirt 
which is the One America Network, which is a hilarious name to begin with, in my opinion. And um, uh, he was walking around sort of clueless as to how this would affect people. Uh, as a background, uh, essentially what OAN does, it, it, they have pretty reasonable. I mean, uh, Bob, Bobby and I were, were navigating through. Bobby is Mark's son. Bobby is my son. We were we were navigating through, uh, you know, some of the some of the news early on in this coronavirus because I was watching news more than I ever have. I don't enjoy that, and um, and they seemed to be pretty reasonable in the afternoon. They really did. They were pretty straight ahead with everything. And I I thought One American Network. This doesn't sound legitimate. First of all, it sounds like it might be, you know, kind of a home for cons- really wacko Alex Jones conspiracy. Stuff. So I was looking for stuff like that and I didn't see anything in the afternoon. I mean, it was as straight ahead as you get. But in the evenings, things turn for uh, for one, one American network. And they have called the Black Lives Matter movement uh, fraudulent. They've they've set up all these false equivalencies that if you're supporting this, you're you know, what do you want? You know, what do you want? Do you want just all all white cops to get shot? <laughs> do you want white people to get shot? Do you want black people? Do you want all black people to be in the police force? All these very juvenile, if you ask me, false equivalencies, but but really taking uh, any legitimacy out of Black Lives Matter um, amongst other egregious things. So that's sort of the network. And we can maybe argue about that. But I think I mean, even my friend Keith Abbott, father of Derek Abbott, who certainly leans to the right. He has said he has seen ads for the nighttime shows there that are more than one of the shows are more right than Sean Hannity, which is the equivalent of a show being more left than Rachel Maddow. And and the left doesn't have those kinds of shows. There's there's nothing further left really than than than, than she is or or some of the other anchors on on CNN or MSNBC. So to, to me, I think it's fair to categorize it as far right. A far right. You know, I wouldn't call Fox always far right. I, w- I would call Hannity far right. But it, anyway, that's the background of OAN. Apparently, back in April, at the beginning of the coronavirus, just like my son and I, Mike Gundy, was watching television and trying to get some information about the coronavirus because he was quarantined and happened upon the afternoon version of OAN. This is his explanation and found it refreshing, found it uh, there was there was a notable lack of partisan bias. So he wears this shirt, his star player tweets it out, and then there was the kerfuffle. And he looked pretty clueless. He His original response, I think, was was mocked heavily. But, but finally, John Pelkey, he said, once he understood where OAN was coming from with Black Lives Matter, he was disgusted by it. The, 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 what, and I, I've talked far too long, and already my time is, is more than it normally is on After Further Review. But I want to ask you, do you... You know, what's your opinion of Mike Gundy after this for, for wearing the shirt, the apolo- the attempted apology, the final apology, where he stands now and where where you stand with this kind of thing that is happening uh, through throughout America right now, where these kinds of things are being exposed? You know, just just what's your take on on the situation and what's your take on the current your current opinion of Mike Gundy? Well, let me step back to the the most famous moment for Mike Gundy and anybody who may be listening and doesn't know Mike Gundy. The most famous moment for him was defending one of his players, and I think rightfully so, yeah. after um, some news outlets 
uh, said some critical things uh, about one of his players and that whole, you know, uh, I'm 30, I'm a man, or I'm 40, I'm a man, whatever it was. I don't know, 30 or 40, I'm 70 now, so it's, it's all, they're all children to me. Um, but uh, so that's where he first came to the fore. It should be pointed out in that rant, he did go after, uh, that's why I don't watch the news, that's why I don't read newspapers. So he's he a little bias uh, against the press, which I don't think, Mark, is terribly uncommon for coaches of college football teams. I mean, there's always some level of, uh, of, of, of pushback between the press and somebody in that. And, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a job where winning games, it, it, it's your success is very obvious. Either you're winning games or you're not. And so that puts a lot of pressure on people. And certainly there are going to be people who don't like the coach and all of that sort of thing. Um, as far as the wearing of the shirt, I mean, he has the right to wear any shirt he wants and watch any news outlet he, he wants. Uh, and I don't watch OAN. I mean, I know their commentary stuff is far right. I don't know about their news. You say it's pretty straight down middle. Okay, I have really no issue with that. And he has a shirt. I, I do think, though, what what more it, it illustrates from Mike Gundy, and I think this is the case of a lot of college football coaches and coaches in general that really do live inside a bubble, because that is, despite the fact that the season's not particularly long um, comparatively to, you know, a work year for most people, uh, understand it's a 365-day-a-year job to be a head coach of a Division One college football team. Um, and uh, I, I think there were, there was a tone deafness for him to wear that. Uh, the fact that he, I, I, I thought he was relatively um, sincere in his apology should be pointed out that that apology, the sincere apology came after there were calls for his job. His initial response was, was kind of tepid, but, but okay. I'm, and, you know, PR is an interest is a, difficult thing to, to manage sometimes. But I think you, you know, the tone deafness to how he his African-American players would respond to that has more to do with the fact that these guys are in somewhat of a bubble that, um, you know, you and I have dealt with a lot of coaches and we've joked with some of them about the fact that, you know, they, they haven't been grocery shopping in 30 years. They haven't, you know, they don't go out to a movie. They have a projection room because, you know, if you go out, can you imagine if you're uh, Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa? That must be going out in public must be the worst experience you could ever have. People just won't leave you alone. Um, so uh, my feelings on Mike Gundy, long way to, uh, to come around to this are uh, I think there was a tone deafness there that he needs to be aware of, be more aware that you are dealing as a coach, you are a teacher. Um, you're teaching uh, people from a lot of different backgrounds. And I think you have to be a little more aware of what the, uh, how your, what you do affect them. Uh, Cause there's a lot about how, what they do affect you. And certainly everybody, you know, wants people who are good representatives program um that said i think his response was uh was sincere seemed seemed sincere i know a couple of people have gone after him about it and i think the one thing that we have to do if we want to be consistent with being part of the solution is we have to look at that and say okay we we accept that you're apologizing and you realize 
Um, what are you doing moving forward to make sure you don't find yourself in that bubble again? You don't have to agree with everybody. It's not the point. It's not everybody doesn't have to watch CNN or MSNBC or OAN or Fox. You watch whatever you want, but you do have to be aware of how what you're doing affects the people around you, particularly when you're in a leadership position like that. And I think it speaks more to the uh, tone deaf bubble you can find yourself in when you're in something that is so high pressure. And I go back and I've used it on the show before. The comment from Kurt Flood when he was talking to August Bush, who was the owner of the Cardinals when Flood played for them, and St. Petersburg, Florida was still segregated. And when they would go to St. Pete for spring training, the African-American players had to stay, didn't stay in a hotel with the rest of the players. They stayed elsewhere. And Bush, who knew Flood, they had a relationship at that point, asked him how it was going. And Kurt Flood said, well, it would be a lot better if we could room with the team. And Bush didn't know that. And I don't think he didn't know that because he was some sort of raging racist. I think he didn't know because he was in a bubble. And you bring bubbles up a lot, Mark. And I think what we're looking at now is a perfect opportunity to take that uncomfortable step outside our bubble. And Mike Gundy's done that, and I hope he follows through. Before we get to Jeff with um, a bubble check on that, (laughs) I think that it's important to make a distinction. We've talked about trying to till the soil with people that don't agree with us and having uncomfortable conversations and trying to kind of get to where people are, maybe getting rid of some of vocabulary words that immediately put people on the defensive. We've talked about having a conversation, and I think that's important. I think that's vitally important. But I do think that the idea of having to fight fire with fire to some degree and having to step up not necessarily shame someone, but call someone out. I think that's important when it gets to be extreme, when it gets to an extreme point of view. Now, did he have to do it on Twitter? He's admitted, the players admitted that. I think it's the star running back, and I don't have his name. You may have the name, Johnny. But he admitted maybe he shouldn't have done it on Twitter. Maybe he should have done it man-to-man. And I, and I, I tend to agree with that. But I think we have to make a distinction that you do have to stand up and shout sometimes. Other times, I think it's counterproductive to the overall conversation. I really do think it's it's counterproductive. But other times, it's totally productive because you need to – that is how you till the soil, is by you know taking a spike to it and hammering it down as opposed to gently sort of uh, you know molding the soil, if you will. And I think this is one of those examples that needs to happen because OAN at night – I'm sorry, that, that is that – is, Again, the equivalent is someone farther left than Rachel Maddow, mm-hmm. farther and, and having a mainstream platform. So I think in that case, you, we, we can do both. We can have both. They're having the conversation now. Mike Gundy is having that conversation with everyone. We are reasonable about it right now, but it needed, a, it needed something a little harsher to bring it to the fore. And I think both can happen. We can we can have both of those approaches in our head at we the same time. That on the show, and Jeff, we'll throw it over to Jeff for the bubble check. But Jeff, we've all talked about on the show that while we are not advocating violence, we're not advocating looting, there are times when things get to a point where, you know, the squeaky wheel, you, you can't just have a change.org, uh, uh, have everybody sign a petition. Sometimes you have to take that next step. And Chubba Hubbard, who is the, uh, the, the, the player for Oklahoma State, yeah, maybe he should have gone to the coach first. I think we start, we're starting to realize that social media is uh, something that uh, we're still learning how to use it at, at, 
and failing miserably. Yeah, that was a very uh, euphemistically right. Uh, but way of I putting do, it. Uh, but I do think in this case, it will probably have the desired effort. I think Mike Gundy's going to learn some things. And I think his players are going to learn some things. And, and hopefully that'll bring them closer together. Because I think ultimately, the more we talk and more importantly, the more we listen, the better off we're all going to be. All right, Jeff. It, it, bubble check. Once again, if uh, Mike Gundy felt that he was wrong and he apologized, I support it. But if he's apologizing because he feels that he has to, then I don't support the apology. I don't I don't pay attention to own. I, I, I see it time to time. I, I know they're a conservative. Uh, I don't know how far right because I haven't looked. So uh, hopefully he meant the apology and hopefully the OAN is as bad as it's being portrayed here and there. Uh, and he, he needed to apologize. If not, then we need to make sure that we can still stand up for what we believe in. And if he watches OAN, he should be able to wear an OAN shirt. Well, and, and, and again, his apology seemed sincere to your point, John Pelkey. It seemed sincere that he wasn't really aware of how divergent their nighttime programming is from their daytime programming. And he was talking about their daytime programming. He wasn't aware. He saw some clips uh, about them demeaning Black Lives Matter and not even in a intelligent, you know, in a way presenting an argument that you can talk about where maybe uh, people have overstepped their bounds or overplayed their hand or things like that that I think are within the realm of reasonable conversation. No, just just blatantly calling them fraudulent and, uh, you know, bad for the country and, the, and, and so forth and so on and how, how his players were affected by that. And I think in the end, that's where he landed in, in his apology was that his player, he didn't realize how hurtful that was to his, his players. And it was a kind of apology, John, that wasn't about if I would have offended. Uh, no, because, he didn't do because, that. Yeah, he didn't do that. He, he didn't, didn't say that. if I offended Chuba, then I'm sorry. No, no, no. He said I hurt him as well as other right. teammates. And I'm. I'm disgusted by what I see on OAN, and 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 I'm sorry for that. But yeah, to your point, Jeff, I agree. It's a slippery slope. You know, when they when Cal Berkeley shuts down conservative speakers, shouldn't do it. My God, gotta, I mean, got to be able to talk. I and mean, that's that though. Let me let me just chime it's in. It's Cal Berkeley show. too. It's just it's, it's the, the place where rich. it shouldn't happen. That's the one right. place it should never happen. Right. Exactly. Uh, but uh, I. Uh, I, I certainly a- agree with Jeff on the the non. I, I think you see that in the non-apology apology more often when somebody comes out and says, "If whatever, if I'd like to apologize to whomever was offended by what I've said." I think we all look at that and go, "Well, you don't think you said anything wrong. You just thought people were offended by it." But when somebody sincerely comes out and said, "You know what? I've I will accept my responsibility for either thinking wrongly or not having enough information and making a comment." Now I know. Uh, and I think that's how, you know, we move forward. But I think every non-apology apology sets sets people back. I think people are starting to see that more. People are starting to understand that more. Um, so I am going to go with that. I think he's being sincere. Um, I agree that there's no there's nothing positive in the macro for a non-sincere apology. In the micro, maybe it'll save your job. I guess that's certainly a possibility. But in the macro, and if you really are concerned with a better society and being a better person, then your apology should be sincere apologies. And if you don't think you should apologize, defend your position and talk to me about that. Keep the dialogue going. Um, But too often, 
even after the non-apology apology or the apology or the no apology at all, there's no there's no dialogue following that. And that's where we I, that's where where we found ourselves at this point a lot. Well, I, I've always been a fan of Gundy ever since uh, the I'm a man. I'm a man. Uh, you know, it's, it's I love it. It's funny. I did get your clip and it is here and I'm watching it load into this thing that I started before we started this show. And for some reason, probably because I'm I'm pushing my computer to the absolute limit over here. The uh, it just won't load in. This program has a has a means of doing that. By the way, we'll talk about Gundy bias your computer. Yeah. My my uh, hates Mike Gundy, or it likes him. It's like I don't like what you guys just said about Mike Gundy. I, I, I am not going I, to play this clip. No, I I like that clip. I started liking Mike Gundy because of that clip. I like that he defended his player. I he like defended his player. player. Absolutely, and, and, and the press could be a bunch of pain in the asses all the time. Yeah, you kidding me? Yeah, the I, press I, the press shouldn't get a free pass. I mean, they they can be. They can be assholes. You totally. you watch you watch some of those stories about especially college athletes. Those are kids. You watch right. those stories Agreed. about those college athletes who their life has been derailed by how they were portrayed in the yeah. media. That's yeah, just I, it, it shouldn't be. And I mean, they do it. They do it to adults too. I mean, well, and a lot of times they won't do it to the they won't do it to the coaches because they want access and they know that even if uh, they piss off a coach for a couple of years while a kid's a starter, you know, they may be. But that's going to be forgotten, and they won't go after the coaches sometimes, some of them, and they do go after the kids, to your point, just, you know, vitriolic stuff and, you know, demanding that someone be benched. Um, I, I think there there's certainly a way to cover college football and, and realize that you're still dealing with kids. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I like that about Gundy, too. I like that he uh, that yeah. he went after uh, his uh, that that he went after the press in that way to defend one of his. Uh, one of his yeah. You know what sure. I think we need is we need a media bench and we should be able to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That comment was not very good uh, punditry. You're on the bench. We all, whoever your manager is needs to send you to the bench. <laughs> These strict constructionalists in the in the uh, audience are not going to hate that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, and and that's why you, you. I think it's really important to point out to anybody that when it comes to any sort of media, do your own homework. Do your own homework because there's there are always agendas and. Uh, yeah, it's tough, yeah. though. It's getting tougher and tougher, Johnny, to, it is. to cut through the agendas and to find the actual truth. It really is. I mean, you've got to do multiple layers of homework and, and go to multiple sites, multiple points of view. Very and then, effortful. and yeah, it's highly effortful. Yeah. And then you've got to distill all that and, and come up with your own wow. uh, decision. No, no wonder barely any of the co- country does it. But to your point earlier, Jeff and I were talking about it. I mean, Fox supposedly has the the, the largest audience. That's three million a night. E- even assuming only one hundred million people are adults and have a home and a TV to watch anything in, that's three percent. That's three percent. We should be more less concerned about what the pundits say and what the Twitterverse says, and more concerned about what the average American thinks. Frankly, right. and and we don't care about that. We just care about what's out there in churning. In um, the cultural zeitgeist. And the other thing that I would like to see uh, change with all of this that's going on, you know, I've, I've brought up campaign finance before, but I, yep. the endless campaign yep. 
that, you know, the day after a presidential election, you know, you still it, you, you still get the the percentages of who's going to be the next candidate. And, and right. the, it, it all starts and all of a sudden Iowa becomes important. Uh, and it, 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 that I, I think that does a disservice because I think what it does is because the media covers it and we see it on Twitter. We all think there's all of this interest in in yeah. the election you know, the 2020 election in 2017, we were all fired up for the 2020. I don't think most people are. Like I said, I think most people start paying attention after Labor Day. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it used to be that's how elections started. But- and the, the last thing to your point about campaign finance, it's literally because right now we have a representative democracy and lobbyists are more represented than each each of our votes. Right. Our votes are less represented than lobbyists who then can fund these candidates because they need the money to run on. If everything was publicly financed, if all elections were publicly financed and you can't, could not use a dime of private money, then actually that would return uh, representation to the people, to the voters, yeah. for crying out loud. And I don't know why that can't be done. And, Did you ever read Shirley Jackson's short story, The Lottery? Is it Shirley Jackson or Dorothy Parker? No, Shirley, Shirley Jackson. It's Shirley Jackson's uh, short My story, bad. The Lottery. Um, I uh, believe Dorothy Parker may have uh, written a, a short story called The Lottery, too, but I, I'm probably wrong. I'm going to go with you. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go with, indeed, you are wow. wrong. Just going to go with it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go. I mean, you got to take a position. Dante said the hottest places in hell reserved for those in times of great moral crisis maintain their neutrality. And I can't think of anything more crisis oriented than who wrote the lottery at this point in time. Not, well done. There's nothing to say. The so keep going. All of this is I had a point to make. And of course, yeah. you once again, that point once again. Right. Right. I was just going to say uh, it's, it's, it's how you horrible. stand up to a bully, John. It's how you stand up to a bully. <laughs> it's a story that offends a, a lot of people. But uh, I think if you replace the townspeople with um, uh, lobbyists, it might be a happy go lucky kind of a morality tale. Why don't you explain what the tale is about for people? Uh, the lottery, and it, it takes a while to. Uh, Boy, I would, I, I, you know, there's the part of me that wants everybody to read it beforehand, and I am, I not, know, and I am not in any way advocating so the stoning of of anyone. Okay, like, so that happens in the lottery. Stoned. You know that you you don't know the story. I, the I do know the story, but you, I, I need you to give the elevator pitch to okay. the to the to the listeners. I know you can do it. Uh, small town. Everybody's excited because today the box will come out and all the names will be put in the box. And this is all they're telling you in the beginning. She's telling you is that, you know, oh, the, the box is usually put on a shelf here. And once a year they get it down and this is what it looks like. And, oh, here comes, you know, Granny with the kids. And they all put their names and they're basically they're pulling out these uh, the names. And eventually it comes down to one family's name and then they all have to put their names in. And they pull out uh, then the names and one member of that family will be stoned to death. They get to basically murder somebody once a year. And it's just to keep them, you know, happy or whatever. It's anyway, it was it was a way for me to then apologize and say that I'm not really advocating for the stoning of uh, of, uh, lobbyists, which I'm not. But uh, you're not. I am not as far as anyone knows. 
Yes. Advocate. No, I'm not. Of course right. not. Well, what you are advocating for is uh, this progressive trivia, this baseball player. Remind us of the first four clues, Johnny. And if there are any viewers out there, we welcome you. Feel free to participate in the comment section and guess for progressive trivia. I don't have a guess yet. Go ahead. All right. Uh, let's go back our through our first set of clues. 18 years in the majors, played for three teams, 2,000 plus hits, 30, uh, excuse me, 350 plus home runs, 1,200 plus RBI. Five straight gold gloves, played with John Cruck and Joe Girardi. I'm a seven-time All-Star, next set of clues. Led the National League in home runs twice. I never played in a World Series. In fact, only played in one postseason series in my career, and I'm a former MVP. Interesting. And he led the National League twice in home runs. National League twice in home runs. Former MVP, never played in a World Series, only played in one postseason series, and he's a seven-time All-Star. Interesting. Yep. I like it a lot, actually. I like it a lot. I ran into some notes that I'd made about uh, people that I'd either interviewed or um, uh, introduced at an event or game, and I ran into this one, and uh, it just reminded me that it was uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Jeff has guessed Don Mattingly, and that is not correct. Jeff should always remember that John will never, ever, 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 ever do a baseball progressive trivia regarding anyone other than Catfish Hunter who played for the Yankees. Okay. It's not going to happen. By the way, uh, I Googled both Shirley Jackson, the lottery, and Dorothy Parker, the lottery, and Google corrected me when I put in Dorothy Parker. Uh-huh. There it is. So, man, this this show's been rough for me, man. It's not because normally it's 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 John just all over me, and Jeff sort of remains neutral, like Dante. I and every, I feel like and, I was every neutral now and in then that. We'll, every now and then will defend me, but there's been two on two occasions now where he's he's helped throw me under the bus. I'm so I am Jeff. the daytime version of OAN. <laughs> I just gave you the straight news. I'm sorry you there took it, it as biased. I'm just on the wrong side of history. This show, that's all. Well, I think you're. I, th- I think it's because you fancy yourself a film actor, and I think you're playing to the, the camera. Hmm. I think you're playing to the camera. So it's got your. You know, you're. You're not. You're worried about the aesthetics of it all. I mean, look at you, uh, uh, clean okay. shirt. I uh, see the makeup too. This high definition yeah, oh, camera I, you're using is showing. Again, again, I I have noticed this show that you have actually looked at the actual camera a lot more than I have. I've looked at the pictures. I've looked off into space whilst trying to make a point. Well, Mark, but we I see, see you, John, looking right there, right there the whole time. I'm so to me, you're playing the camera a lot more than I am. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to remember that. I, I and we can see uh, in the uh, picture behind you on the wall, we can see the kids like waving at you. I can see arms. I can see people who are distracting you from the show. So I know that has something to do with it as well. You're, Man, I don't, you're, you're in a room full of people. No, no, there's no one here. They've You've invited. Left. You invited longtime <laughs> listeners. To, so I can perform, so, you so have I can like have a live audience. If you turn that camera around, there's a bleacher, isn't there? There's a there's bleacher. A li- there is a live audience. Are we they have masked? Are they? Because you're not masked, so clearly. We, we have a guest, John Pelkey. Is it correct? It is not Dave Winfield, Chief okay, of Fire. Okay, great. Not All the right. great Dave Winfield. Mr. May. 
had, had a lot of years with the Yankees as well. So he may qualify as someone you will never do a progressive trivia about. I'd probably go with Winfield because I don't think of him as just a Yankee. You know, I think of him as a Padre initially. As and, do I. And, and but uh, he, and I, by the way, I do believe that uh, George Steinbrenner's greatest moment ever, and I believe it's Steinbrenner. It might have been Dorothy Parker. Uh, but I do believe that it's George Steinbrenner that uh, that called Dave Winfield Mr. May. No, I know. It's very funny. That is a classic. It is a classic. And he had good nicknames. It's not Mike Schmidt. You know, big, big, uh, big guys that uh, have some con artistry about them <laughs> and uh, like to push people around in their businesses. Come up with very good nicknames. As and a nickname, rule. listen, listen, there's, you know, I'll... I'll for till time immemorial, I'll criticize uh, Trump for a lot of stuff. But coming up with nicknames for people, is, no, he's very it's good. Smart. At it. It's very smart. It, it is a you, great tactic to use. It does because it distills everything. It's, right. It, it's a it's a great campaign tool. It really is. And you got to give him credit. I mean, the, the man beat seventeen Republicans and beat you know a formidable candidate in the sense that what was backing her, you know, was the force of the entire Democratic Party. And a former president. So he obviously did some things right in terms of running his campaign. And he had sure. an assist. We, he, had, he had a little bit of an assist. All right. So we've got uh, we've got others chiming in as well. Let's go to, to the point that I'm very anxious to get to, John Pelkey. And I'm looking right at the camera at you. Uh, when I said that I have a change of heart about Major League Baseball, I have a change of heart about the – Entity that has been at the forefront with these negotiations, and that is Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association. This is big Major news. League, Major League Baseball Players Association has essentially told Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, the, the commissioner who is on the side of the owners, they always are, that fine, we're not going to negotiate anymore. We negotiated a prorated salary. We gave you some options. I mean, to be fair, none of the options were realistic. And Major League Baseball came back with options, none of which were realistic. <laughs> and Tony Clark, who I have really risked. I, I, yeah, I really don't rip people like this as a rule. That's I leave that to John Pelkey. You said he should have he should have been the main character in Dorothy Parker's The Lottery. <laughs> If, yes, in Dorothy Parker's version, Tony Clark should have been <laughs> the pro slash antagonist, depending on your point of view. Right. But Tony Clark, who I have eviscerated on the because I think he's been a horrible uh, player union rep, has said to Major League Baseball, OK, so that's it. We're done negotiating. You guys, per our, per our agreement, you guys set the season and let us play. And basically, it's in their court now, and that's the only narrative that anyone hears because, really, Major League Baseball, when, when Manfred came out the other day and said, I'm not sure we're going to have a season, there was a big pushback because everyone wants baseball, John Pelkey. Right. More, more than any other season in the history of baseball, people want baseball because it's a return to a sense of normalcy. And if these millionaires and billionaires are arguing about it, people are going to get upset. And if the players are saying, well, we, we can't wait to play. Tony Clark is saying, we just want to play. We just want to go home. We just want to play. <laughs> and, man, you know, the thing is, is that Major League Baseball has said, we really can't afford this without people. We're going to lose $700,000 a game. We can only really afford to play 50 games or so. 
Well, then Tony Clark is saying, then there you go. It's a 50-game season. What are you waiting for, Major League Baseball? And, of course, Major League Baseball is saying, well, they're going to do this and they're going to do that once we start the season. But no one hears that argument. That's the thing. Tony Clark has finally won the narrative argument because the players look like they're taking the high road. We want to play. Right. Salaries be damned. It's not about salaries. It's about you are preventing us from playing baseball uh, ownership and commissioner. I, I give him full credit. Am I, right. How am I wrong, John? Well, where, where would we start? Uh, I, here's, I, I saw Rob Manfred actually on the Sports Center special uh, hosted by the relentlessly mediocre Mike Greenberg um, <laughs> on uh, opening up sports. Um, and Manfred made the point that what they thought that the players were doing, and this has actually been, uh, there have been a number of uh, reporters who have who've chimed in that they thought this might be the strategy as well, was they want them to name the time and place so that then the Players Association can take them to court, that they need them to do that before they can take them to court and sue them. Um, so that it, it is, it's more of a legal maneuver than it is anything else. And it has no one buys that extra That's the thing. added benefit. It has the extra added benefit of making them look good. Now, I don't know that that's the case. I'm just saying that was what people have chimed in with and said, well, they don't want to do this because then that, and I don't right. understand the legal, but even if it is the case, John, yeah, don't you agree that it, it, the, the move by saying, tell us when to start the season is brilliant because oh, yeah, no, it's a great move because the, the the ownership if they don't do it and they just claim what's going to happen in the future no one right. buys that right and i'm all i'm doing is saying that there are people that are questioning the sincerity of the players association and saying oh, well, well they just want them to do this because then they can actually take legal action um i so i will give you credit that uh tony clark uh it, it was a good move to make it is an outstanding move on the chessboard of this discussion and it really does push rob manfred back on his heels and he played into um much of it by being what i believe to be was honest on the on espn when he said you know i was hopeful one high, one hundred percent convinced, but changes have happened now, and I'm not. He didn't say there wasn't going to be a season, but he said that he felt he was less hopeful that there would be a season, and he didn't he, believe one hundred percent. He's a shill for the owners. See, this is now me going back and forth. I've been ripping union, you the union. Yeah. Now I'm going to rip management, and let's face it, John. In every single sport, the commissioner is a shill for the ownership. Right? Would you would you disagree with that? No, I wouldn't disagree at all. Okay, so that's all Manford saying, and all people are hearing is that they're they're because of this legalese, they right. don't want to start the season. Right. So it's and 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 regardless of it, if it's true or if it's not true, or if Manford's being honest or he's not being honest, it doesn't matter because the narrative is what you want to establish. We've talked about that with with the president. He's able to control that when the narrative with 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 Twitter and with nicknames, if, for instance, and and. And to just to really piggyback on what you're saying, and I completely agree with that, is is that, you know, we've talked about it on this show is that so often in these discussions, the players being the face of the sport are the ones that are held responsible anytime something doesn't something goes wrong. If there is a labor of stoppage when there were no World Series, all right. blame goes on the players because they're right. the face of the sport. There are about two 
Major League Baseball owners that anyone would recognize. And I think I'm being generous by saying two. So it's always the players. And, yeah, I guess you give Tony Clark a lot of credit. He has turned the narrative on his head. And now he's requiring the owners to either name a time and a date or Manfred made this point on on uh, on the uh, on the Greenberg show thing that uh, they were still in back channel negotiations, said we're still trying to keep lines. of communication. Well, to me, this is a great negotiating tactic. In the end, it's always a great negotiating tactic in my mind when you can grab the narrative ground, the high ground and they've grabbed it. So I bet the back channel negotiations have heated up with Major League Baseball because of this move. And I will say I, I have literally given Tony Clark zero benefit of any doubt. And I am pleasantly surprised because he has, he has taken a book out of, you know, the best guerrilla fighters out there, man. I think he has really put all of the onus on ownership, made him made him to your point, be on their heels. And guess what? The narrative out there owners is that you're holding up major league baseball. You and only you are holding up major league baseball. What's the problem? If if you can't afford what you negotiated, then have less games. And he's requiring the owners to come forth with a nuanced argument about why they don't want to set a date. And as we know, what doesn't work? Nuanced arguments. Always. Always. You know, and just say, we're ready. Let's play. Wait, we can't because you won't let us? Mm, Bad. You bad. I know. He... I, I'm just good so move. impressed. It's a good move. I agree. I agree. I thought you were praising him on his sincer- on his sincerity that you know they just want to play. Well, okay. No, no, no. I'm praising <laughs> him on his tactics. Yes, which is which is why I've always you know we still crested question him strategically. Well, this was a strategic move, though. Well, I think this was a tactical move more than a strategic move. I think strategically, if you look at strategy as being a much larger macro, I think strategically coming to uh, an agreement earlier and to your point that you've made on the show numerous times is if you'd have done this earlier, you may have been able to. uh, And I know they don't trust each other, and that's part of the problem. But you may have had a little bit more leverage for things down the line as it got closer and more acrimonious. Those became. Uh, less and less possible, and he has always been accused of using brinksmanship as a, a tactic, which sometimes works, and I don't think strategically in this case it did, but this tactic changes things. Well, and it's interesting. You could make the argument that this is a this is a just a very, very smart tactical move within the sub within the uh, you know umbrella of brinksmanship in a way it, it is, is yeah it is a little bit it is a little and, bit but and, it's a and smarter it, way to go about it it's a much smarter way of going about it and i'm very very pleased uh about that so <laughs> okay so um, well you laughed at it now respond to it this I is what i was talking about respond, if you look at a I, comment you gotta- i have i it's okay i'll respond i'll respond and i'll play to the camera properly which oh by the way i think we all should john pelkey because we're being filmed oh by the way that's an important part <laughs> of when you do something via video is to play to the camera. But if I'm it's looking not, at the camera, I'm not looking at the, myself, and I just it, don't it, want to It's not it. a pejorative. It really isn't. All right. My mom chimes in. You all look great. Jeff, you don't look like I thought you did. I hope they let you talk. And I laughed because when I first looked at it, it, it made me think of that, oh, you look great, Jeff. I didn't think you did. I thought you looked like Ted Cruz. Based on your voice. Uh, But we have let him talk, Mom. We have let him talk. Do you want to chime in on Tony Clark there? 
Jeff, I'm producer. Just, I'm good just glad man. for for this small uh, time you were able to give him some credit. Didn't last long, but uh, you gave him some credit. Yeah, and no, I think I, I think he deserves it. And by the way, Jeff, it, it it only took Mark's mom like thirty minutes of a show for you to become the sec her second favorite uh, host of this show. Yeah, because she, she, she hates me. No, she well, doesn't hate you. Unfor- unfortunately for her, if I start talking, I don't look as good as I do if I just keep my mouth shut. Interesting. All right. Well, let's move on and have Jeff not talk while John does the next set of progressive trivias. All right. My next set of progressive trivia clues. I'll remind you of the first eight. 18 years in the majors for three teams. 200 plus hit. Three, 2,000, excuse me. Can't, can't read my own writing. 2,000-plus hits, 350-plus home runs, 1,200-plus RBI, five straight gold gloves played with John Cruck and Joe Girardi. Led the National League in home runs twice. I'm a seven-time All-Star. Never played in a World Series. Only played in one postseason game, and I'm a former MVP. The team I played for for the first 15 years of my career won a pennant the year after I left made it to the World Series, and the fi- uh, played with Tom Glavin and John Smoltz. And the final clue is, I only did uh, 11, Mark. I'm a multiple MVP award winner. Okay, so it's not my guess. My guess is wrong. All right. Very good, John Pelkey. That's pretty fun. He played for the, uh, for the first 15 years. Of his 18-year career, played for the same team. And uh, got the one he, postseason series, but the year after he left, this is why the Mattingly uh, guess actually, uh, Jeff, was a pretty good guess. Uh, the year after he left, the team won the pennant and played in the World Series. All right. Very good. That's a pretty good guess that Jeff had, too, as well, coming up. So, at any rate, Jeff is correct. There you go. Nice Jeff work, Jeff. Jeff is correct. Mark, right. incorrect with Andre Dawson. Uh, who's one of my favorite players. But since I guess we're now giving it away, so Lenny, who's actually probably got things he has to do, and he'll listen later, now he's going he's gonna to be I don't know why, why, why are we giving it away? It was I thought we us. said. It was, it's not on the comments. It was between us. All right, then, then, then we, won't, uh, we won't give it away. I thought, I thought we were supposed to give it away. I, this is all new to me. God, you're just so, just, just attacked. I mean, that was just, yeah. that's, that's three scotch, Mark. This Good is, Lord. This, this, see, this is the, he can take, he can dish it out. He can dish it out, but he cannot take it. You know, he can, that's what, that's what bullies are, John. They're very thin skin. They're very thin skin. They cannot take any heat back at all. That's a load of crap. I I have to beg to differ there. I'm a bully and I can take it too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. That's three, Jeff. That's three. That was not very own of you, by the way. That was not very (laughs) afternoon own of you. My bad. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right. So let's talk about, uh, the NBA quickly now, uh, going back to Disney and they've done a nice job and, and, and I sent you the article and they have a list of protocols in terms of if someone gets sick, what happens to them in terms of testing, in terms of fans coming in there. It's a long laundry list. Over 100 pages, I believe. Yes, of protocols, which all seem highly reasonable to me, and not just reasonable on paper, John. It seems like they could be functional. It seems like it could actually work. Do you have a do you have a different take on that? Are you more concerned than I am? I'm very hopeful about the NBA at Disney for for a no, lot of reasons. No, I'm actually with you on that. I, I was really surprised at the level of detail they went into, and it's 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 funny because the one everybody's glamming on, and I'm going to do it too, was the ping pong. Uh, what which was they're going to have ping pong tables set up, 
And who doesn't enjoy a good game of ping pong? Mark, Mark you seem to, it seems to me that ping pong would anger you. No, no, no. Someone. I love I, oh, I'm, actually, All right. I'm actually I'm uh, actually surprisingly good at ping pong because I have the, the strategy of just uh, let the other guy make the error. So just return the thing. Just uh-huh. keep the just keep the thing moving. Put the ball into play. Yeah, that's just, your that's your baseball manager thing. Put the ball into play, people. Yeah. Strikeouts are fascist. Don't Be, you know? Yes, exactly. Get don't don't make any unforced errors. Right. Let them make you know that them make the error or force you to make the error. But you can't do any unforced errors. And at some point in time, especially if you're playing other men, John, you know, at some point in time they want to do a kill shot. Yeah. And oh yeah. Some of the times those aren't going to work. Right. And right. those are unforced errors, and I usually I have I have a have a pretty good record of beating players that are by far far more superior than me at ping pong. But well, uh, here's I'm sneaky, where, very here's sneaky where, that way. Here's what you wouldn't be able to do because again, their level of uh, of the minutia that they get into, they're going to have ping pong tables, but they're saying players will not be allowed to play two on two because that will they won't be social distanced enough. Now I'm, you know, again, you look at some of these things and you, you think, well, these guys are going to have to self police because you're not, it's going to be difficult to have, I don't know, you're going to have Disney security, octogenarian Disney security guards angry that they're hey, pulled away from the Matlock uh, marathon that's on TBS and the lack of hard candy available now in stores that are going to be there pre- preventing them for, from, from playing two on two, but there's a, there's a great level of detail to what they're talking about. And, um, you know, the pushback mainly from, uh, from players is that they're keeping them as airtight as they're keeping them. And it's also been pushed back. Governor Cuomo has said that the U S open will go ahead, a tennis tournament. And a lot of the pushback from the players is one of the things is they would not be allowed to go into Manhattan. They, they would, they would have to, you know, they'd be at where they were, putting them up in their hotels and transportation to uh, to play the tournament. And one of the big draws of playing the U.S. Open, obviously you're, you're in New York, one of the great cities of the world that people travel to. Um, so I think NBA is doing, I think they're doing an excellent job. I think Adam Silver is once again, I, I think he, uh, he is the uh, commissioner that I think we all believe probably most consistently does the right things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and seems, uh, there, there seems to be a, a little bit less in politics with a small P and a little more common sense with the things that he does. Um, and that's not always the case, but Silver, I think, does a, a very good job. And I think they've done it again. We shall see, because as we've seen, we talked about it last show, more and more players are questioning whether or not they want to put themselves into that bubble for that period of time. And I understand that as well. Well, especially now with Florida spiking. I mean, the last three or four days, uh, Florida has set records for number of cases. Now, the number of deaths, we will see. It does. It hasn't reflected that yet. It may in two weeks uh, or, or whatever the gestation period is, if you will. But I have also read that there's more testing. There's more hospital beds. There's, uh, there's an ability to access treatment and get better treatment. And maybe, and maybe there's been a, a decent enough isolation of, uh, you know, areas that are more susceptible to it. So maybe the mortality rate, there'll be a lot of cases, but maybe the mortality rate will go down to what it normally is with the flu. And there will be some sort of herd uh, immunity yeah. that happens. We'll see, but it is a little scary to see these, these number of cases set record numbers. 
It, it, it is in the last few days. And I will say, you know, some of it may be due to more testing, but there are also medical professionals who are saying, no, we're seeing a larger percentage and uptick and they're following these things. But I will say this about the NBA guys is they're not going to be out among the general population in Florida. I mean, some right. of the reasons that this is happening is because there are people who aren't taking the precautionary measures that they should. And they're showing up in bars together and, and just not, you know, acting as if everything is is perfect and and it isn't and and again i'm I, this is not a criticism of them though i think they're making a mistake but the players will be much more sequestered yep. it is it is a bubble so i don't really know that those numbers going up yeah that would be concerning for me as well but i don't know that it ne- necessarily shows me that their situation or or should illustrate to them that their situation is more uh fraught at with risk. danger than it would have yeah. been more at risk than it would have been yeah. so I'm optimistic that it's going to happen, but I think we are going to have some guys who just choose not to play. Hey, well, hey, quick, that, quickly, ahead, some Jared. breaking news here. Manfred and Clark had a face-to-face meeting, and the MLB presented a uh, proposal to the players, and it seems to be positive. So, See, I'm telling you, that is all Tony Clark making that tactical move. Would you agree, Jeff? Yes. It brought them to the table. It brought them face-to-face for probably the first time since this thing started. So that, to me, I will give Tony Clark... Full credit, he uh, when the chips were totally down, he hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth with two men on, down by two. Part of this, uh, part of this uh, deal is that the Players Association has agreed not to file a grievance if this deal goes through. There you go. So, congratulations. Uh, we'll see if the posit. You know, now that might that might be a tactical move on Manfred's part in terms of uh, making sure that's off the table. But even if it is off the table, if the the thing is, is if it's off the table and Tony Clark realizes they're not going to have that leverage and he backs off saying, just tell us time to play, then then I will go back to my original right. point of view of Tony Clark. But the, they the, the the Players Association has already agreed not to file a grievance. So there it is. So it, it seems to be moving forward. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And it, we also should point out that uh, medical professionals have said, you know, uh, one of the things that, that uh, and no one knows about a second wave, we think it'll be coming, but that the best chance that it would come would be later into the fall and sure. Major League Baseball staring at the fact that if they drag their feet on things too much and have to start later, that they may put themselves at greater risk. So it would benefit yeah. them now to get started earlier, wrap it up before November. And right. then, um, so I think that has something to do with it. I, I, a little bit, a little bit of hope, uh, coming to the fore right now, because I think that there are the, the, the prevailing winds are blowing in the correct direction. And I think you would agree with me that for the last 10 days or so, they haven't been blowing in the correct. No, direction. when we started the show, they weren't. I mean, that's, that's what's great. Actually, I think they were once Tony Clark, uh, put that out there. I think, I think the writing was on the wall that something was going to happen because Major League Baseball didn't have a choice. They really didn't have a choice, and yeah. they had to do something to get the season started because it's clear that the majority of Americans are yearning for baseball. And I think you're right in terms of the NBA. The NBA has the best chance of getting this thing right because the you know the commissioner and the players and Disney all have a great relationship. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. there's stories about Iger and Silver, and they publish whilst these stories are being uh, out there. The pictures that are associated with these stories are of uh, the opening of the NBA experience, John. And there are some great pictures of Bob Iger and Adam Silver. And just seconds before that picture was taken, yeah. you were hustled 
out of the frame. Yes. Make sure you weren't part of that thing, because as you may or may not know, listeners out there, John Pelkey was uh, a part of the NBA Experience Grand Opening. I co-hosted that with um, uh, ESPN's uh, Rachel, Nichols. Rachel Nichols, and uh, we brought a number of players up on the stage, brought you Bob Iger and brought up uh, uh, Adam Silver, and it was a great opening. Um and there were only really a couple of rules for me. Uh, uh, first of all, my director, Mark Ferreira, said, just try to be good. You know, try to be good, not curse or do anything that, you know, would, would look badly. And then the rest of the producers and said, you were. And you were. Yeah, I got a laugh. Rachel Nichols found me just delightful. Uh, As did everyone. And I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she found Why me delightful. you were cast, John Pelkey. Yeah. Um, and then the producer said, that's great. Here are the other rules at the opening of, uh, what's it called? Uh, the NBA. The, the, N- the NBA experience. The NBA experience. Um, under no circumstances are you allowed to set foot in that building. I was barred from going inside the NBA experience, so I had no idea. What, to this day, have no idea what it looks like. Sure. And then I was told, okay, we'll get everybody up on stage. It'll be the big hoopla. And the minute the last player takes a step on stage, John, get off stage. Make sure that no cameras are pointed in your general direction. Get in your car and get the hell off of property or we will have you killed. The, not, during, that whole, during that whole conversation, Mark's face was about to burst from joy. He's so happy he just, about this. He, he loved it. He, he absolutely <laughs> loved it. It was, you know, they put, as, as, as is generally the case when you're just a nobody uh, working in an event like that, they put all the pressure on you. You have to go down and interview this person and make sure Rachel knows. And everybody's like putting this all on me. And then, and then, but then you, if you get out of there, if we see you, if this benefits you in any way, other than the 140 bucks you're making, I swear to God, all of the power of this company will crush you and everyone you've ever seen. Do you understand? If you benefit from this any more than the, than the pittance we're giving you, you will pay the ultimate price. That's the Disney way. They want you yeah. in the position that you have, so they will stand in the way of you getting any farther than you are right now. They right, need you. Because, because they know they can trust you to take care of all of those logistics. You can right. make sure that Rachel's in the in the right place. You can keep the show going when maybe her teleprompter goes out and you're just riffing, you know, off the top of your head. You're get you're you're trying to find people in the very hot day with this crowd just surrounding you. Then you've got to oh my God. Your way to the stage and you've got to keep all that going and get those players up there and not be starstruck. You're doing all this brilliant stuff, but you're right. The second you're done, they do not want you to have any they do not want to have any of the glorious environment you've helped create to spill onto your soul at all. Absolutely. You have to be out of there because they're going to take a picture with the fireworks, with the dancers, with Mickey and Minnie, with right. all of these legendary NBA players and Rachel Nichols, with Bob Iger, with Adam Silver. I mean, if you were up there, John, you have to admit it would be like one of these things is yeah. not like the other. Oh, I would devalue the moment. I have no doubt about I that. Mean, I would. You understand yes. from that can, point of view. I completely understand. And what w- what was the best part about it was how often the producers told you to tell me to go away. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, you know, I got a 55 year old man, so I forget things from time to time. But it was literally every five minutes in the 45 minutes to an hour before the show. Now, you know, you have to get off the stage. Right. And you have to get off immediately. 
Yes, yes, Mark. You've told me that three times already. Yeah, yeah, Mark. I know. And I mean, they, honest. And, and I, I, I to tell you again. They they want me to tell you again. Yeah. And then these producers, I, I could just see their faces. And the the whole time this glorious event was going on, it was just this laser focus on if Pelkey doesn't leave the stage, he will. He he. No. Oh, don't worry about him. Nobody's gonna hear from him no more. Yeah. That's yeah. That's that's what it is. That's what it is. Well, that's why you're not in those pictures with Bob Iger and Adam right. Silver right. representing the great relationship between Disney and the NBA. Right. Because seconds before, you know, you were hustled out and running toward your car because, I mean, it was I was chased. Sort, yeah, it was sort of a running man. You had you had a time limit to get yeah. to your car before, yeah. you know, before and there was some guy standing next to the car with a device. I don't know what it was, but I don't think it was going to end well for me if I hadn't made it in time. So I did. Luckily, I got out of there. Uh, I ran into a broke because you ran too fast. Because that that's, that's always a possibility with you. Yeah, that was that was quite the event too. Because in uh, as I was trying to get out of there in enough time to save uh, my existence on the earth, uh, ran into a guy who owed me money, and he still hasn't paid me back. So, well, yeah, that's that, that, that's actually true. I did run into a guy who owed me money. And really? Was like, is, hey, what are you doing? Is, and I was like, the I guy can't that talk. paid me. Is it the guy that paid? Yeah. Me? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mark and I did an event I together and check right away, John. That's the difference between you and I. You, Mark and I did an event. We hosted an awards event for a um, high school football here. I used to do high school football on the radio. And uh, so I hosted the award ceremony with Mark. And so we got a check that night, you know, and Jeff, you know how that works, man. You do an event and they pay you that day. Cause sometimes, you know, that can be boy waiting for Godot to wait for a check from some of these folks. Um, and uh, so, you know, we got the check and Mark immediately uh, went to went, went to the bank. I'm sure, you know, I could come up with some nefarious story why you needed the cash. I mean, I think everyone even knows, you know, um, sure, sure. You know, went to a check cashing place. I didn't I, wait. For the bank right. To, right. You know, you, I, I, I cashed that check. You gave up the 25 percent just so you could have that cash in hand. <laughs> got to keep the lights on. Uh, and. Uh, and I just, you know, held on to it to you know, next time I was going to be at the bank. I was going to drop. And by the time I uh, tried to cash it, there was no, there were no funds left in the. Uh, and there hasn't been for the last 15 years. And over years, it's been like 15 years. And I run into the, the dude every now and again. And he's like, uh, you know, can I pay you like you know five dollars a month for the next decade? And I'm like, you should have said yes at the time. I really should have. I really should have. But I was like, you know, when you have the the money, just give it to me. But uh, apparently what was that's Fast gonna... Eddie doing in the uh, the Disney Springs parking lot? <laughs> uh, it was not Fast Eddie, but uh, boy, how prescient! It was a radio guy. Yeah. It was a radio guy. There's no a surprise. Doubt. Yeah, yeah, he was covering the NBA opening as well, and he never stepped outside of the buffet, which was inside a restaurant, so he never saw any of it. What was Jerry Green doing at in the parking lot of Disney Springs? And it's really odd because it's, you know, a year after he passed away, too. So that was uh, right. You know, disturbing. Oh, it, yeah, it, he was Jerry Green pass away. So, oh, I feel bad Jeff, for making Green that. Has, has left us. Yes. I, I feel bad for making that joke then. It's OK. You, it's you're the producer. Time. You can edit it out if you'd like. You I don't. I won't. But I don't think you can edit out of the live uh, the live version of this. Uh, Jeff was at that event as well. The NBA experience. That's where we yeah. saw. That's where really the, the germ of this podcast began, John Pelkey. So uh, en- enough of that. Enough of the NBA experience uh, shenanigans. Let's go to our progressive trivia. Give us the 11 clues. Sure. And uh, give us the answer as well. Well, I actually did. There's actually like 14 clues, but I combined a couple of them. Fair enough. 
starting with number one, 18 years in the majors for three teams. That could have been two clues, frankly. And if I didn't run out of this, 2000 plus hits, 350 plus home runs, 1200 plus RBI, uh, five straight gold gloves played with John Cruck and Joe Girardi, man. That's one to throw you off right there. Uh, Led the national league in home runs twice. I'm a seven time all-star never played in a world series. In fact, only played in one postseason series in his career. 82, right? Former MVP, absolutely. Played with Tom Glavin and John Smoltz. The team that I played for, for the first 15 years of my career, won a pennant the year after I left. And the final clue, multiple MVP awards. In fact, he won them back-to-back. And the answer is, of course, Dale Murphy. The great Dale Murphy. um, Boy, talk about the borderline Hall of Fame guy. The guy who that you there were there were years where I think you would have said he is a lock to get in the oh, Hall yeah. of Fame. Oh yeah. And then, you know, he stuck around for a while. He was still viable and stuck around for a while. Played with Philadelphia and Colorado, actually, if you're wondering, past uh his Braves years. Um, but for some reason that diluted people's thinking about him. And then the, the reason that we said never played in a world series, only played in one postseason series uh, series in 82. And I think he hit something like two fifty eight. I think he's three for 11 in the postseason. Um, so I, you know, it's kind of, I look at it as like a Kurt Warner because the argument about Kurt Warner getting the hall of fame in the NFL was just the, the career just wasn't long enough. Um, and there were years where he was with the giants and he was injured. And he was just not good. Um, but Warner got to Super. He absolutely won a Super Bowl, and then got to other postseason games. I think if I think if Murphy had gotten to a World Series at least and performed well, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he would be in. Kurt Warner took two teams to the Super Bowl, two different he did. teams. Yeah. He did. Yeah. I think the problem with Dale Murphy is that he just he not only not sustained that early pace because that was pretty. I think it was what eighty two, eighty three when mm-hmm. he got those uh, MVPs, right? Um, that was his like fourth and fifth year in the league. And, and he, he went down, you know, pretty far. It, 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 he wasn't at anywhere sort of near that for a while. So uh, his excellence wasn't sustained. And, and also I do think you're right in terms of playing for a bad team, but I think a guy like Andre Dawson, whose excellence sort of maintained itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't go too far down. He didn't get as high as Murphy because he only won one MVP, but Andre, Andre Dawson for years played with Montreal and then Chicago, and I think maybe one postseason, maybe two tops. So, and I think Andre Dawson is in the Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken. So, two. it's what's that? Two postseasons, one with Chicago and one with Montreal, and one a postseason with Mo- uh, a series with Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in '81, I believe yeah. in the strike short season. So, it it's uh, it's very interesting, and, and I also think John, it comes down down to numbers. He's a power hitter. Right. By definition, he led the league twice in home runs, and he has under 400 home runs. Right. He's 278, I think, lifetime average. And the other thing about Murphy, and I think he's the reason around that sometimes. One of the reasons for that drop-off is uh, the fact that he played 162 games for like five or six seasons in a row. Um, and that's something that I don't think you, you, you we don't see as much of now. I, I think – he was on a bad team, and he was really the only thing that drew people to Braves 
games for a while. Yeah, Horner. Yeah, Bob Horner Horner also. That was kind of fun. That was kind of fun. But, I mean, he was one of the main draws for that team. And I think maybe he just, uh, all of that work over those back-to-back seasons of 162 games, I believe he led led the National League and played appearances like four years in a row. And I just think it took its toll on him. Started out as a catcher. Um, and then ended up uh, as a uh, first baseman and played left field as well. But uh, started played his first, I think, eighty games of his career as a catcher in the uh, in the Braves organization. But uh, yeah, he you, you can certainly argue. And I know numbers are so sacrosanct in baseball, but it's hard to tell the story of baseball in the nineteen eighties without Dale Murphy and the back back MVPs. That's there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. And I, I think, you know, he's he's been at the Braves games for you know the past 20 years where John was the voice of the Braves at the uh, <laughs> Wild World Sports Complex. Same complex hosting the entire NBA this year, ladies and gentlemen. John Pelkey was there as the voice of the Braves right. and will not uh, be there for the NBA. He was uh, he often took the, you know, the the lineup card out and we were able to talk to him a few times. And he was always a sweetheart of a guy, even no, though guy. I bristled against him during the steroids era because he was very, very vociferous about that whole thing. But if to your point, John, it makes sense for a guy like that. If he had access to steroids back in that day and was able to heal up pretty quickly and come back and everyone was doing it and it was part of what it was part of the game, he could yeah. have extended his career, probably probably become a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I dealt with him uh, as well. I hosted a thing for Turner South, which was a softball game between uh, Turner South employees and uh, Braves greats. And Murphy was there. Uh, any number of, I think Ron Gant might have been, I can't remember who all was there, but de- dealt with Murphy quite a bit because I was doing this sort of live commentary. At one point, I brought him in when he stopped playing. He's a very entertaining guy and uh, just just a good guy and a guy it's really uh, easy to get behind. And, and, I, and I do think, I, I agree with you, Mark, I think if he'd have been able to, uh, yeah. to rehab some of his injuries and, uh, you know, uh, a short cycle of steroids might have been a good choice for Dale Murphy. So he's one of the guys who maybe, maybe has that, you know, I don't think – certainly there are baseball players who can complain about steroids, but he may be one of the guys who really has a legitimate gripe because he would have put up bigger numbers still on a bad team. And that may have been the thing that pushed him over the top, but I'd forgotten he played with Colorado. That's why I threw the Girardi one out there. I thought that'd throw everybody off. No, it was great. It was a great call. All right, before we close it up, uh, I want to remind everyone that we are going to go officially live on YouTube uh, starting next Monday. All right, so we're going to go back to our normal podcasting. You'll, you'll hear the next episode on Friday. You'll hear that on Friday. And it will be our deep dive, our first deep dive, where John Pelkey dives into the early 70s A's, yep. which yep. is going to be so much fun. It's like it's like a, the documentary you want to see. It's hey, seven, seven, seven this one, but I've broken it into seven segments with nice. sub-segments. Um, and we're going we're gonna to look at the history of the A's. We're going to talk a little about Connie Mack, who right. uh, was their longtime manager and Indeed. owner. Um, and we'll talk about Charlie Finley and the team when they were in Kansas City. And then the move to Oakland and those three years back to back where they were the best team in baseball, or at least three time World Series champion, because there's there's debate whether in 72 they were better than the Reds, but they did beat them. Um, and then 
what happened thereafter with uh, with the Oakland A's. I think it's interesting, Mark, you bring up, uh, you know, people talk often, particularly Colin Cowherd, who bases all success on uh, overnight ratings. Um, no matter what, that's the only thing that matters. And that's why baseball is at this point a dead sport because it yeah. gets bad over, you know, not a lot of people tune in to see the Rockies and the Brewers on a Wednesday night. And that means nobody cares. Um, but uh, that those uh, those A's teams Most had the country doesn't actually with that game. <laughs> those A's teams, um, the official attendance may have been around a million, but it was nowhere near that. For those seasons and quite frankly uh from what i've read and um i'm relying on a, a great book that i will give full uh attribution to and then some other stories that i have read uh there were games where they didn't have five figures worth of people in the stands they had less than ten thousand people in the stands and this was seasons after they had won the world series no i know it they it didn't was- draw at all no and and they really still haven't uh even with uh, the, the success they had uh, subsequent to that in the early 80s and in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So Don't it's really remarkable. It's it's a tough it's a tough place. I mean, I know this from Candlestick Park. It, it, Northern California is a tough market yeah. for for uh, Major League Baseball. And it's only because of uh, at the, the the time they called it Pac-Bell in 2000. And then it was AT&T. And now I think it's Oracle Park or whatever the hell it is. And um I mean, it's only basically because of Barry Bonds' home run chase. And then the, then the Giants won three World Series in a row, which no one ever expected. Not in a row, but uh, in a decade. No one, no one expected that. But I will say, if the Giants continue to go on this downward spiral, you'll see, you'll see that even in, in, uh, in Oracle Park. I mean, it's just not a great sports town. Great comment from the Chief of the Fire about them being an overlooked franchise. And then... Uh mentioning they're overlooked by their fans and that is that is really true uh, i know uh, also that they've never done what a lot of teams did which is uh build a stadium that's also a showpiece and that helped the giants i think it immensely it to did. get into a baseball park that uh was a draw unto itself and oakland never had that no. stadium at, in the 70s and i'm not familiar with the geography oh. of oakland at this point not in a great place and, and not a great stadium. stadium and the astro turf it was just disgusting you know, that, you, that, you can't blame the fans. I went and saw a baseball game there two years ago, and it is not a terrible place to go see a baseball game, but it is in a bad part of town, and they're in trouble because that whole complex, which used to house the Raiders, the A's, and the Golden State Warriors, the A's are the only thing left. So yeah. I'm assuming they're either going to build a stadium or, or move away. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a little uh, I'll give you a little preview of tomorrow's show, something that you might not have done when Charlie Finley finally uh, was giving up. The, there was a uh, uh, there was a uh, decision in, in principle, an agreement in principle for him to sell it to somebody who was going to move the team to Denver at that time before there were the Colorado Rockies. Um, so, I mean, it's just been an ongoing issue with them since they've been in uh, Oakland. It would be nice if they would build themselves a stadium that was dedicated just to them and just to baseball, I think it would be very helpful. Well, and what the Giants did, sorry about this, Jeff, but what the Giants did across the Bay wasn't only a showpiece, it was privately financed. So they, you know, San Francisco, uh, you know, the voters in San Francisco don't have an appetite for giving billionaires 
money for a free venue. And so they had to come up with the money on their own. And I think that's also something that, you know, makes the average San Franciscan voter maybe not even a great baseball fan. It's a fun park. It's beautiful. There's a gorgeous view. And we didn't pay a dime for this. It was all on them. I think it makes it more attractive, Jeff. The, I, I believe that the Oakland A's will be playing in the same stadium as the Raiders again soon. Vegas, yeah. man, possible. God. It's certainly possible. That would please my mom. Yeah, she says Portland. Your mom, mom would like to see him in Portland. Really? So, yeah, I don't know. That weather. Uh, it's barely the United States. <laughs> I, 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 mom mom is, is commenting right now, and she's being very uh, benign in terms of her real thoughts about the A's and the city of Oakland. But we'll, uh, we, we talked about that ad infinitum on all the iterations of After Further Review. All right, that's it. Anything else, boys? Jeff, any, uh, any other to burst? Nope. No, that that's about it. I've got to get back to my. Uh, I got to get back to my. Uh, I threw it to Jeff. That's okay. Oh, I know. I didn't hear you. You complete your sound completely dropped out. I'm so sorry, John. All right. So please oh, go ahead. I have nothing. So John, please go ahead. What are you getting <laughs> back to? I no. I was saying I need to get back to uh, to working on my uh, A show for tomorrow. I put more time. I have put more time into this tomorrow's show, and I really need to set the bar lower on this. Um, so don't expect much, folks. Uh, I put more time into this show than I did my entire secondary education. Well, I'm I'm a uh, I'm excited, but I'm also a little bit nervous because that's going to put the pressure on me. That's my for, driving. That's my driving force. Of course it is. I'm going to have to come up with a seven-part deep dive series as well on the Big Red Machine. I'm excited to delve into it, but uh, boy, oh boy, you're setting the bar very high, John. And that only means one thing: I either hit that bar, or I will be more eviscerated on this show from you than I have eviscerated Tony Clark. And uh, I can't have that. I'm. Wow. A, I'm a I'm a I'm a sensitive I'm a sensitive soul. You probably should have probably should have rethought this schedule of uh, deep dives. Anyway, it's like hey, you guys gonna talk about anything but '70s baseball. Mm. I know, I know, because the the other one that I wanted to talk about was the Philadelphia, uh, but was the town of Philadelphia going from the worst sports town in the early '70s to one of the best sports town in the late '70s? I'm not sure we're gonna dive into anything post 1979, folks, and uh, you're just gonna, I think have to deal with that at this point in time all righty that does it for us for jeff taylor for john pelkey for all those folks who have watched our soft opening on youtube i'm mark ferrer this has been after further review stay safe